Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. Word series. And so, worshiping through Word, connecting our Sunday worship with Monday work. And some of you might say, well, I don't work anymore. I'm retired. Good. That's a wonderful thing. But guess what? Does that mean that your work has stopped as far as what you're supposed to be doing through your life? Absolutely not. I know uh, Brother uh, Paul and I, uh, we are recording a podcast together. And we actually, uh, I think it's this week or this past week, uh, our interview with each other and talking through work and stuff like that. We talked about retirement. And he said, I have no idea how I had time to work before I was retired. There's too much work to do now where I'm at. And uh, here's the thing. We are all called to worship God throughout the week, not just when we come together uh, at church on Sunday. And so we're going to come into this uh, last couple of of weeks, and we're going to be looking at this idea of common good. The idea of common good. We ought to be working for the common good. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well, here's the thing, whatever God has placed you, wherever God has placed you, whatever he has as a lot for your life, whatever work he has given you to do, we ought to be doing all of our work for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the praise and glory of God the Father. When I heard this idea of working for the common good, at first I thought this term uh, uh, to be something that was about compromising and never speaking up for right. I thought maybe it was a woe term that the church is trying to embrace to fit in or to reach people where they're at. But after reading this idea of the common good in a book called Whatever You Do, Six Foundations for Integrating Life by uh, a company called Made to Flourish, I realized that there is a good foundational teaching from the Word of God to work for the common good. So what is that? Well, that's what we're going to learn today. Working for the common good. As we've been looking at at, uh, worshiping through work, connecting Sunday worship with Monday work, we need to come to understand that work's bottom line is more than just an economic one. And we've been building this foundation and building this foundation and building this foundation for the last several months. Scripture teaches us that our work is about more than financial payment, gain, or economic self-interest. We were created with work in mind. If you remember all the way back in Genesis, what did it say about the garden? That there was no one to work or to till the land. And to dress the garden. And so what did God do? He created Adam to work. God had in mind for us 
to have a communal nature and a responsibility. We're, we were created with this work in mind. I mean, what was the purpose of the garden? It was to supply. Supply for who? For us. Right? When you get to Adam and Eve, what did God command them to do? To be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth. To have children. To have a family. But also to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth by taking work serious so that those things could spread throughout the earth. For who? For all people. Has our work changed? Yeah. No, it's still the same purpose today. We are to be communal in our nature and our responsibility. As a follower of Jesus, one of our primary stewardship callings is to be our brother's keeper. Well, wait a second. Isn't there that passage in Scripture when Cain says to God, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yes, you are. <laughs> the question didn't mean that no, he wasn't. No, he was to be his brother's keeper. And guess what? You're to be your brother's keeper as well. Amen. Well, I can't, I can't make my brother do things. No, but you can keep pointing them to who they need to be following. You, you can be there to help supply needs for other people in your lives. You know, as a church, we see the communal nature uh, right here within our church. When we have people that have needs, what do we do? We try to help their needs. But it needs to go beyond the borders of these walls and into our community. Listen to what it says in Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Boy, that's a, that's a convicting verse when we start to think about it. Now, am I saying that every time you pass a person who's panhandling at Walmart, you need to drop cash into their little bucket or whatever? No, that's not what I'm saying. But should we be looking at every person as an as opportunity to minister to their needs? Amen. Absolutely we should. Absolutely we should. In this story uh, that Jesus told, he was teaching that when you serve your neighbor well, you're serving him as well. And you're serving Him well. It is following the commandments to love God and to love people when you are doing the right thing for the least of these. Uh, there's another parable where, where Jesus is speaking and, and He tells His disciples, He said, as much as you've done it to the least of one of these, you've done it to me. And they said, well, where have we done this? When, when, when did we serve you? When you gave that cup of water to the person who was thirsty, when you gave food to the person who was hungry, you were doing it to me. That should change our perspective and how we treat people. And we're going to come around to that here in just a few minutes. But how you treat others is actually also a picture of how you treat God, how you treat Christ. If you're speaking an angry word to someone, guess what? It's as if you're speaking an angry word to God. If you're saying hurtful things to someone just to hurt their feelings, it's as if we're saying hurtful things to God. John Calvin wrote this. It is not enough 
when one can say, oh, I work, I have my trade, I set the pace. This is not enough, for one must be concerned whether it is good and profitable to the community and if it's able to serve our neighbors. Everything we do should be for the common good of where we're at in our lives. Number one, the first thing I want us to see is we need to seek common good for our community. Why is it that I'm constantly emphasizing the need to be a part of our community? Ideally, it's because we should desire to reach our community for Christ. But I also want to emphasize that we should be seeking the common good for our community as well. That we should look to build our community to be a better community. And who better to do that than followers of Jesus Christ? I was sharing this with our Sunday school teachers yesterday. I don't just want to preach the idea of being in our community. I want to be in our community. God gave me an opportunity this year to be in the community. The community theater is doing Fiddler on the Roof. And I get to be a part of Fiddler on the Roof. And it's going to be amazing. And it's great. But why did I do that? Because I'm constantly telling you, be a part of your community. Be a part of your community. Get involved in the community. Get involved in the community. And what kind of pastor would I be if I wasn't involved in our community and telling you to be involved in the community? Yeah. I'm to lead by example. Right? I'm to be uh, 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 saying, hey, we, I, I want you to be a part of the community, so I need to be a part of the community. Not that I wasn't part of the community before. I'm just getting to be more part of the community. But here's the thing. It's the same thing in your own lives. Right? If you're speaking to your family and you're saying, hey, this is what we need to do, you better lead by example. In our community, we better lead by example. If we say that we want a better community, then what, what, what ought we be doing? Leading by example. Hey, I, I, I want to see our community thrive. I want to see it do better. Okay, well then get out in the community and be a part of that. Hey, I don't, I don't like, maybe, maybe uh, you're involved in the school system and you're like, I don't like the way the school system's going. I don't like the things that they're doing in our school system. Well, then you know what? Go to the town hall meetings and sit there and be a part of that and get involved. Yeah. Because we want to have the common good for our community, we have to be involved in our community. Now, you know that I believe that the Bible teaches us to hold our government in prayer and in respect. Now, some people would question how we should pray for the leaders. I recently had a conversation with someone. They said, I'll pray for those in authority, but I'm not going to pray for our president or anyone in that party to be successful. Because I don't want them to succeed. You know, I've thought about those statements for a while. And the Spirit kept putting the thought in check and saying, I don't think that's right. I, I'm, I'm just going to be bold enough to say this. Can I tell you something? You might dislike a certain political party. But you know that there are Christians that are part of that other political party. And I'm going to tell you right now. That you have more in common with those Christians in that political party than you do with the unsaved people in the party that you agree with. Yep. And they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we ought to 
respect them. We ought to uh, 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 we ought to look at them with respect and know that there are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can disagree with them and still have them be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And they ought to be treated with dignity because of that. Amen. We have gotten far too political in our dealings as Christians. Do, do I think that we as Christians ought to be a part of politics? Absolutely we ought to be. I think we need more Christians who will rise up and be uh, uh, senators and uh, uh, congressmen and governors and, and in our local uh, areas, mayors and councilmen. Now, I think we need more Christians who will step up and be that. Amen. But do I think that we ought to be political in our nature? No, absolutely not. Uh, I, I was uh, listening to a guy, and uh, he's a he's a pastor, uh, Pastor Kenny Baldwin. Anybody ever heard the na name Kenny Baldwin? All right, Kenny Baldwin is a African American preacher, and he's in uh, he's in Maryland. And uh, he was uh, somebody was interviewing them, uh, interviewing him, and they were talking about racial relationships, right? Uh, uh, ha uh, if racism is still a part of our country, and yes, it absolutely is. And we ought to be the very people who stand up against it as Christians because God loved us. And the Bible tells us by the hand of Paul that God doesn't look at us as Jew and Greek or man and women. He looks at us as, as his children if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we ought to be looking the same way as Christians. And, and he was asking uh, this uh, brother Bowen, he, the, the guy that was interviewing him said, listen, I don't know where you stand politically. I don't really worry about where you stand politically. But as an African-American, when uh, uh, President Obama was elected into office, how did that make your family feel? And uh, Dr. Baldwin said, you know, I'm not going to tell you how I voted politically, but I'm conservative. He said, but we were sitting around that election night and my dad just began to weep. He just began to cry. And he said, Dad, what's going through your mind? Because his dad had gone through the separatism. The having to drink at a separate water fountain, ride a different bus. He had to go through all of that. And he said, I never thought I'd see the day when an African American become the United States of America. Does it mean that he agreed with them? No. no. But you know, it's very sad in our country today that mo there's many churches who are not living for the common good of all mankind. Brother Baldwin said, there's, there's certainly churches that I'll never be invited to because I'm black. And these are conservative Baptist churches who are still very racist in their nature. Uh, there was another interview with a, a, an evangelist who was also an African-American guy. And uh, his name is, um, uh, I don't remember his first name. Uh, Burden is his last name. His, his ministry is called Burden Ministries. 
And he said, uh, I would get phone calls from people who say, man, I heard about your ministry and just how amazing it is. And I, and I would love for you to come and, and, and preach for us because I heard what God's doing through your ministry at camp or ministry around the world and all the different places that you're going. I would love for you to come. Well, they never bothered to do any research. They just took somebody else's word and said, this sounds like a great guy. And he says, I get on the phone. They say, wait a second. Are you black? Well, yeah. Well, never mind. I don't need you to come to our church then. Oh. And I'm telling you, there is a real problem in our country among our churches. Yeah. Where we are not living for the common good of our citizens, of our uh, fellow countrymen, of the people in our nation and the people of our communities. And we've got to step up and we've got to do what God has called us to do. So this idea, when somebody said, well, I'm not going to pray for the success of our president because I don't, I don't agree with that party. Think back to the Old Testament. When the people of Israel had been conquered and taken captive by Babylon. If anybody had the right to pray against anyone, it was the Israelites. It was the people of Israel to pray against Babylon. Jeremiah was writing during a very bleak time. Jerusalem had been ransacked and burned. And many of her people had been taken into exile. The hope of the exiles is that they would return home soon. And the last thing that they would want to do is put down their roots and promote the common good of their captors in the city of Babylon. However, that is exactly what God told them to do through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. Listen to what he says now. This is a command to the people of Israel. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. What did he tell them to pray for? Peace. For who? The for the Babylonians in the cities that they were part of. You know what our hearts cry ought to be for Fallon, Nevada? God, bring your peace to Fallon, Nevada. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by two into all the cities that were surrounding them, you know what he commanded them to do? Hey, listen, I want you to go find a house who is praying for the peace of God in their community. And when you find that house, and you find the house that's praying for the peace of their community, I want you to go into that house, and I want you to dwell in that house, and I want you to invite all of the community to come to that house so that they can know the peace of God. Well, that's weird. Why would they just go to that house and invite everybody over? We ought to be the kind of people who are in our neighborhood saying, I'm praying for the peace 
of Fallon, Nevada. I want all my neighborhood to know the peace of God. I want them to flourish in the things that they have. I want them to grow in the things that they have. We ought to be praying for our community that it would grow in, in a way where financially it's blessed, where uh, uh, um, with uh, the fruits and the vegetables and the produce and the, the physical things that we need, it's blessed. We ought to be praying for our community that way. And then we also ought to be praying, God, allow your peace to rest in this town. Amen. Let us have the common good for this community. The word peace in this verse is the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe in uh, when you read through, um, no, that's a different word, shalom. Uh, I was thinking uh, Salem, but shalom. It doesn't mean simply to cease the ceasing of hostility or war. It's a word that means the welfare or the flourishing of all of God's creation. So he said, when you pray, I want you to pray for the shalom of this city. That everything would prosper. And I'm going to tell you something. The person who said, I'm not going to pray for our president to prosper or anybody from that, that party to prosper. You are in sin. By not praying for the shalom and the peace in their life. We ought to be praying that same thing for every single person. And we'll see that just a little bit further. God encourages Israel to pray that Babylon would flourish. And that they would seek the common good for all of its inhabitants. God's desire is that anywhere where his children dwell, that we would pray and seek for those places to flourish with the shalom from God. Peace is God's desire for the people that we work with, the workplaces that we inhabit, and the broader society that we're part of. The good news of the gospel is this peace that God desires for Babylon. It's also the peace that he desires for everyone, and it's made readily available to everyone. Living out the gospel of peace prompts us to promote the common good towards all people. Why do we want to pray for the prosperity of others? Because we can say, you know who prospered you? It's not your hard work that prospered you. It's God and his peace that he offers you that's allowing you to prosper. Number two, seeking the common good for individuals. That's for our community, but for our individuals... What does it look like to seek the common good for the individuals? You've heard me say this often at church, that we need to be willing to walk with people. Many of you, as we've had conversations, what have I said? Hey, I want to walk with you. Do you believe that? But is that not the job of every single Christian? Is to walk with others? Galatians 6.10 as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. How many men? All. all. All people. And then he goes on and he specifies, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to be seeking to do good for everyone. And then when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to say, I want to go an extra mile for them. Yep. How many opportunities do you have to do good for all people. This verse says that we should seek opportunity to do good for all people. And it does say especially for those who hold like faith. But it still doesn't negate 
the fact that it says do good to all men. Caring for brothers and sisters was important to Paul. But as you look at the, the life of Paul, so was seeking the good for everyone. Think about the time. Paul is on a ship. They're getting ready to be shipwrecked. They're going to throw everything overboard. And what does Paul say? Hey, hold on. We're going to wreck. There's no doubt about it. But I'm going to go pray. And I'm going to pray for everybody that's on this ship. And I'm going to pray that nobody dies that's on this ship. Some of them were ready to get on the lifeboats. Some of them were ready to jump off into the ocean. And he says, no, everybody stay on. I'm going to pray that God says every soul on this ship. You know what happens? They crash into the rocks and nobody dies. Why? Paul was praying for the common good of all those people on the boat. Not just for brothers and sisters in Christ, because there probably wasn't any on the boat with him. But what a testimony of Christ that was, and what a testimony of God that was as he prayed for the common good of those people on the boat. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Do you know that if we see that somebody has need and we do nothing, it's just as if we're doing evil to them? He calls us to do good to everyone. It's the common good for individuals. Listen to this quote. Uh, well, in just a second. This is the, what Paul said. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is a complete contrary uh, mindset to how the world thinks. And unfortunately, I believe it's completely contrary to how many of the people in the church think. But God has called all of us to seek the common good for every person. Uh Miroslav Wolf said this. In the Bible, and in the first centuries of the Christian tradition, meeting one's needs and the needs of one's community, especially its underprivileged members, was clearly the most important purpose of work. If you remember a few weeks ago when we were doing this, what did I tell you about the American dream? Let it die. Yeah. The early church, what was their purpose of work? To provide for others. If you remember in the very early church in Acts, thousands of people come to know Christ as their Savior, and what is the very first thing that they do? They sell all their goods. They sell everything they have. And they give it to the church. For what reason? Common good. For the common good of the community that surrounded them. Boy, that, that, that's different thinking, isn't it? Now, was it that God commanded us to, is God commanding us to sell everything that we have? No. No. But if he did command you to, or if he did lay it on your heart, would you be willing to? 
Look at Ananias and Sapphira. You guys remember that story? They had a piece of property and they sold this piece of property. And, and, and I think that they did right by selling the piece of property. But the reason why they were doing it is because there was other people that had sold stuff and had given to the church. And they said, well, we don't want them to overshow us. We, we don't want them to outgive us. And so we're going to sell. And then we're going to tell them that we gave everything that we got for the land to the church. You think God would have been happy if they just said, hey, we're giving a portion? Yeah. Absolutely. He would have been happy with it. But what did they do? Well, I see everybody else giving. I see everybody else selling their possessions. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to outshow them. And what does God do to them? Strikes them dead because they lied. We gave everything. Oh, did you really? Yes, I gave everything. Well, because you lied against the Holy Spirit, you're dead. Here comes Sapphira. So you guys had a piece of property. You guys sold it for such and such. Yeah. And you gave it all to the church. Yeah. Well, just like your husband, you lied. You're going to be struck dead. All right. So it's not necessary that God's saying, hey, everybody in this Victory Baptist Church today, go sell all your goods and give it to the church. It's not what he's telling us to do. But can I tell you something? Everything we do, do should be for the common good. Yeah. Other people around us. <clears throat> How unique would it be if every one of us in the church said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give my entire paycheck. I'm not saying, saying you have to do this, but... <laughs> right? How unique would it be, though, if we said, hey, I'm going to take my entire paycheck. Every time I get it, I'm going to give it to the church. And the church says, hey, listen, as you're giving money to the church, hey, you have your mortgage that needs to be done? It's paid for. Oh, you have groceries that you need? It's paid for. Really, this is kind of how the early church operated. We're going to take care of your needs. Now, is it good to take care of the needs of people in our community? Sure it is. But how much more important is it to take care of the needs of those who are within the walls of this church? The yeah. brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ, like Paul said. And we've been able to do that. There's been times where people had needs. And guess what? As a church, we've been able to say, hey, listen, we got enough money in the bank account. We're going to take care of this. But let me ask you this. What happens if we start looking at our bank account and it's, it's dwindling and it's dwindling and it's dwindling because people aren't giving. What's going to happen eventually? The church is going to be able to take care of what we've been called to take care of. Do we not already see this happening in our world? Yes. Who was commanded to take care of the widows and the fatherless? The church. Who takes care of the widows and the fatherless in our country? Government. Why? The church failed. Church failed to do what they were called to do. We ought to be giving for the common good of all mankind. The early church saw that the common good of both the church and the community was what Christians were called to provide. And I can tell you, it's what God has called us to do today as well. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I have shown you all things, how that's so laboring. You ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. What did he say we're supposed to support? The weak. But let me also say this. Because some people come to a church 
I'm not necessarily saying anybody here is doing that. But sometimes people come to the church and they say, well, I'm just coming to see what you can give me. It's not the purpose of the church. What can you give? What talent, what time, what finances can you give to support the church? And then they can turn around and we can help others in need. <coughs> Some people will come and say, well, I'm just going to go because I'm going to see what they'll give me to take, uh, or what they'll give me to help me in my time of need. Be givers, not takers. Are there times in our lives where we need help? Yeah, there are. But can I tell you something? Most of the time, the way that God works is he puts those things on people's lives and puts that thing on people's mind to help take care of the need of others. It's not even necessarily something that you have to say, well, I'm having a need. Can you help me? God's going to take care of that. God's going to show us, hey, I'll give you an example. There was a, a person who parked out here. Their front tires were bald. Where you could see the threads. And one of the men were out there and they said, Hey, I was walking by so-and-so's car. And I could see that you could see the threads of the tire. It was so bald. We need to do something to help. You know, that person didn't ask for help. But God put it on our hearts to help someone. Yeah. But as individuals, we have to realize it's more blessed to give than to receive. That we need to help and support those who are weak. But in order to do that, there has to be giving. Number three. Number three. This will be our final point this morning. Seeking common grace for the common good. Whoa, what's that? Common grace for the common good. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of common grace. What is common grace? Common grace views all life in God's good world as a precious gift. It's what allows us as Christians to understand our purpose in life. Common grace is unmerited favor and goodness extended to all people. It's a biblical truth grounded in the very character of the Godhead. It's the doctrine that tells us that despite our fallen and corrupt nature, that every person has value to God and should be respected and valued regardless of behavior or belief. We know that this, is, this common grace is true because we see that God valued people so much Regardless of their behavior or belief that he gave his only son to offer salvation to all mankind. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved us despite our behavior and our belief. He had common grace towards us. And giving his son. Not only do we see this doctrine of common grace, but we see the extent of common grace. Common grace has been shown to us, and Jesus taught us to offer it generously to others as well. Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. 
Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. God has shown us common grace to every single person. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. Because typically what do people do? They hate their enemies. They despise those that use them. They blaspheme those who persecute them and do evil against them. But Jesus says, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to have the common grace that I had for you when you were in the lowest parts of your sin and I loved and I cared for you and I want you to have that same love towards everybody else. In the book of Luke, Jesus calls his followers to love their enemies. This God-like love entails doing tangible good to them and extending acts of mercy. It's not enough to just say, well, they're doing evil against me. I love them. No, go out of your way to show them the love of God. Where do we get this example? In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it says, it tells us that the Most High God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. How do we treat the unthankful? Man, they should be grateful for what I did for them. What's wrong with them? Don't they have any thanksgiving in their heart? What if God treated us that way? How often do we act unthankful to God ourselves? But he said he was kind to the unthankful and to the evil. God has called us to be kind in the same way. This kindness that God extends is also needing to be extended by us. Yeah. So we see the doctrine of common grace, we see the extent of common grace, and then we see the expectation of common grace. We live in a world, in a society of great political and religious polarization. States are described as being red or blue. Political pundits label us as conservative or liberal. The demographics of people are divided into upper, middle, and lower class. The people we work with or live around often see the world very differently than we do. Yet in and through our vocations, God has given us the opportunity to expend, extend common grace. What's the key word there? Common. What does that mean? The grace should be shown to all people, regardless of their behavior and beliefs. That's what God has called us to. I know I've been convicted while studying and preparing. And I kind of gave our Sunday school teachers yesterday exactly how I prepare messages. And these have been prepared for months, but I've gone over it and over it and over it and over it. And every time I read this, I'm convicted. 
is how often do I not show common grace? How often do I look at certain types of people, people living certain types of lifestyles, and think, well, good, they're getting what they deserve. Shame on me. It is often in the fertile soil of common grace where the seed of saving grace takes root. It is often in and through our workplaces that we have the opportunity to show the common grace for the common good. Do you understand the importance of that? The way that you treat people has a large way in how somebody will accept or reject Christ. Amen. That common grace is the fertile soil that you are planting the seeds of the gospel. And if we are treating them indignantly, if we're treating them like second-class citizens, if we're acting like we're better than them, is the gospel ever going to take root in that soil? No. But God has called us to live with common grace in our heart for the common good of the people that surround us every day. And it's so important for us to live that way because sometimes you might be the only Jesus Christ that anybody sees until they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ, and we're not living the way that Christ has called us to live. What kind of picture is that of our Lord and our Savior? One last quote, and then we're going to close. Uh, John Piper said this. Our aim is to joyfully magnify Christ. To make Him look great by all that we do. Boasting only in the cross, our aim is to enjoy making much of Him by the way that we work. Everything that we do should be for the glory of God and for making much of Christ. And can I tell you, as Christians, this ought to be common in our churches. But I'm afraid it's not. How many people come to church simply because they want others to look at them and say, oh, aren't you a good Christian? You're in church. That's about you. You know why I want to come to church? I want God to be magnified and glorified. Amen. You know why I want good music in our church? Not to lift up the people who are up here on the platform singing, but to lift up God. Amen. Amen. You know why I want to be true to his word? Not so you can look and say, oh, look at that pastor. He, he's trying to truthfully be to that word all the time. I want God to be magnified in everything that I do. Why is it that I want us to be a part of our community? Because God needs to be magnified in our community. We need to make much of Christ in his goodness. How can we do better in seeking to do common good in our communities? How can we do better in showing common good to individuals? How do we get back to the foundation 
of the early church. This is where we need to be. We need to return to the New Testament church. Stop living with the American mindset church. Because in America, it's all about how you look. It's all about what you have. In God's eyes, it's all about what you're doing to bring glory to Him. This message has especially been challenging to me when it comes to showing the common grace that God has shown us. How often do we let other people's actions affect how we show or don't show grace to others? I, I can't show grace to that person because what if so-and-so sees me? Why? Because they aren't on a different political party than you? Get over yourself. What if God had treated us the way that we treat other people? Everything we should do should be done for the purpose of pointing people to Christ. And how can we do that if we don't show the common grace that Christ has shown us even before we knew Him as our Savior? Aren't you thankful that God had common grace toward you? Yes. And aren't you glad that He had a common good for you? That He let it rain on you even when you were unjust? That He fed you even before you were saved? He took care of your needs? How much more should we live for God now that we know Him as our Savior? Next week, we're going to look at five ways to show common grace in our workplace. And we'll, we'll end that <coughs> with our worshiping through work. Five ways to show common grace in our workplace. So let's close in prayer this morning. and. Uh,